Good morning. Well, autumn is almost here, isn't it? And that means we have to say goodbye to another beautiful Minnesota summer. But before we do, let's do a little reminiscing. I invite you to think back to any special outdoor social gatherings you had this past summer. Are they coming to mind? Maybe you attended a beautiful outdoor wedding or perhaps it was a family reunion, or just a good old-fashioned backyard barbecue. You may remember the beautiful weather, the birds singing, the smell and the taste of all that great food. You might recall the fun and the laughter. I'll bet there was even energy and a buzz in the air that you soon won't forget. Well, let us not also forget another gathering that took place in our passage for today. Only this one went down very differently. It was quite large, and yes, there was a buzz in the air at this one too, but the disciples, for them, it may have felt like it was coming from a hornet's nest as they were getting verbally stung from the scribes. And had Jesus not arrived when he did, things may have gone in a very different direction. Please turn with me to our text for today. We'll be in Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. And if I were to title today's sermon, it would be a story of three fathers. Mark 9, beginning in verse 14. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately, when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I bear with you? How long shall I... Correction. He says, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, and often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, 
I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that we can come together in this place to worship you. Lord, may we lay down all the cares of this world right now. May we set aside our burdens and our concerns of the day and of the coming week. And may we give you our focus and attention, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for your word, which is sharper than any two-edged sword. May it pierce our hearts, Lord, and change us in the way we need to change. I pray all these things in your name. Amen. So previously, uh, in chapter 9, verse 9, we read of Jesus, Peter, James, and John coming down from the mountain, where the disciples had just witnessed the miraculous and holy transfiguration of Jesus. We pick up now in verse 14, he and his three disciples come upon what seems to be a tense and growing spectacle. Here we see the scribes at it again, don't we? They were engaged in arguing with the Lord's other disciples who had stayed behind. So what were these disciples up against with these scribes? Well, if they were anything like the conduct we saw earlier, we can be sure it wasn't pretty. In chapter 3, they didn't pull any punches in their heckling and hurling of insults and false accusations against Jesus. In fact, they seemed all too skilled at the art of character assassination. But why should the disciples expect any less harsh treatment than Jesus? Remember in John 13, 16, Jesus said, A servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. Do you have any of these types of scribes in your life who seem intent to be a thorn in your side? who try to pull you down and discredit you. This is all the more reason that we need to daily, as Ephesians 6.11 reminds us, to put on the full armor of God. We looked at verse 15. Jesus is entering the scene, and he invoke, evokes quite a response from the crowd. They immediately ran to him and greeted him. They were greatly amazed. The Greek word here means trembling astonishment on the verge of alarm, which confirms that this wasn't a reaction of simple curiosity. Was this amazement due to the reputation he had acquired by now? Or was it because 
he may still have been radiating God's glory after the transfiguration. I would say perhaps both. In verse 16, we see Jesus wasting no time in taking command of the pandemonium going on. He diffuses the situation by diverting attention away from his disciples and having any and all questions now directed to him. Let's look at verse 17. Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. We're introduced now to the first of the three fathers that we'll be talking about today. And this father is obviously desperate to get help for his son who is afflicted with this mute spirit. And while some of the symptoms sound a lot like epilepsy, this son's condition is far more grave than that. He's possessed by a powerful demon. Verse 18, and wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. So we now get an insight into the probable source of the arguing. The father had asked uh, the disciples to cast out the spirit, but they could not. Notice also how the father addresses Jesus as teacher. In verse 17, he didn't address him as Lord and apparently was not yet convinced he was the prophesied Messiah. Furthermore, any faith he did have in Jesus may have been shaken by the inability of Jesus' own disciples to cast out the spirit. So why were they unable to perform this? Were the disciples trying to do it in their own strength? we'll start to understand more as we read on. Verse 19, Jesus sounds exasperated here, not only calling them a faithless or unbelieving generation, but also asking, how long shall I be with you, and how long shall I bear with you? His use of the word generation, it appears he's leveling a complaint against all of them. He then says, bring him to me. In verse 20, when the son saw Jesus, immediately the spirit caught in him caused a violent reaction, making him roll around on the ground in convulsions and foaming at the mouth. This spirit was not leaving without a fight. And so it is in this life for us. We are in a spiritual battle here on earth. And it won't end until God ends it. The first battle or target of Satan's is for your soul. He does not want you to know the Lord and find forgiveness and salvation in him. The second battle is if, if, if he can't have your soul, his goal is to make your life hell on earth. And if allowed, he'll stop at nothing. In our own strength, we are no match for Satan. But praise God, Satan is no match for Christ. And with the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you can overcome him. Verse 21 
So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. Needless to say, this would have been a very disturbing scene. The crowd probably expected Jesus to take swift action at this point and cast out the spirit. But he doesn't. Instead, he chooses to first engage with the son's father. Do you think that Jesus didn't already know the answer to his question? I think it's conceivable that he was doing two things here. First, he may have been giving the father an opportunity to express not only facts, but his heart as a total person. Second, Jesus may have been providing greater context to the situation, allowing the crowd to hear and see the extent of the son's condition. Jesus did not perform miracles for thrill-seekers. However, casting out the demon would once again prove that his deity extended over both the natural and the supernatural or spiritual world. Verse 22, And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. The track record of the havoc this spirit has wreaked on this son's life, it's heartbreaking. It's further evidence of Satan's goal and mission to destroy. Also in this verse, we again get an idea of the father's lack of faith, saying to Jesus, if you can do anything. In verse 23, Jesus promptly turns the question back at him, framing the real question. If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. In essence, he's challenging the father, how much do you believe in me? Verse 24, this verse begins with the word immediately. And notice how this is the third time this word is used in these past few verses. There's an instant response that the people in verse 15, the spirit in verse 20, and the father in verse 24 all had upon hearing and seeing Jesus. Uh, recall also at Gethsemane, John 18:6, how those who sought to arrest Jesus fell to the ground when Jesus identified himself. There was unmistakable power in the words and presence of Jesus. Also in verse 24, the father cries out with tears. Here first there's a declaration of faith. Lord, I believe. Second, there's a confession and a desperate and humble plea for help. Help my unbelief. Do you ever struggle to believe that God will carry you through a difficult trial? Do you wonder or doubt if there is a reason for the suffering you're experiencing? Call on him. Ask him to help you with your unbelief. Verse 25. 
When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. We're left with no question as to who's in charge here. At his appointed time, Jesus rebukes the spirit, commanding that he come out and never enter the Son again. Verses 26 and 27. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Notice back in verse 22, the father said, have compassion on us. Jesus could have told the son to rise and get up on his own. And that would have been a big enough gift in itself. But Jesus goes the extra mile in showing his care and compassion for the son and his father. He makes personal contact with him, reaching down, taking him by the hand, and lifting him up. Also noteworthy is back in verse 10, the disciples had just asked Jesus what it means to be raised from the dead. Here, Jesus provides a vivid illustration of that. Verses 28 and 29. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Some versions of the Bible will just say prayer, whereas uh, others will say prayer and fasting. Uh, either way, I believe Jesus was making the point that this was not business as usual or something to take a casual approach with. And it's not about finding just the right formula. I believe he's saying, if you want to be effective in ministry for me, it's imperative that you abide very close in me. So what have the disciples learned, and what can we learn? First, Jesus calls his disciples to tasks beyond their abilities, which is evidence that the ministry is Christ's, not theirs. Second, by both faith and prayer, they testify that spiritual power is not in ourselves, but in God alone. I want to briefly tell you now about a second father. This father could identify all too well with the one in this passage. And this father is myself. It's very humbling to stand before you preaching the word. You see, I hadn't really even set foot in a church until the age of 14. From the age of 14 to 18, I did go to church, fulfilling what was expected of me. My head was filled with various stories and information about God, but most of it went into my head and never dropped down into my heart. I heard about God, but never knew God, nor did I believe it was possible. 
within about a year or so into my liberal college education, you could say that I was agnostic at best. If asked about God, I would have told you there may or may not be a God. Furthermore, it's not really worth discussing because even if there is one, no one can prove it. The first couple of years of my illustrious five-year college experience consisted of a lot of partying, AKA sinful living. Then I met my future wife. Praise the Lord. This was the best thing that came out of college for me. This also helped me to get more serious about my studies and life in general. As my time at college was coming to a close, I found myself sinking into a state of despair. The parting is over. Now what? I go find a job, work for the next 40 years, retire, and wait to die. It all sounded so meaningless. And then there was the thought of death. I would whip myself up into a frenzy thinking about an eternity of nothingness. Thinking I would never, ever, ever exist again. Which begs the question, why? Why was I even here to begin with? And that's when the flood of questions came and my search for truth and answers began. Over the next two years, as I continued my quest, God began breaking down the soil of my hardened heart and provided several people and resources to sow seeds of truth. At last, my heart was well cultivated, and on April 25th, 1995, I heard and understood the gospel of Jesus Christ, repented of my sins, and received him as my Savior and Lord. Over the past 27 years, the Lord has continually revealed more of himself to me. Throughout that period, he also has been stripping away the many things that had to go. He has been molding me in sometimes gentle ways and other times allowing fiery trials. The greatest of these trials came on April 6, 2017, when I had to say goodbye to my 16-year-old twin daughter. Never before had my faith been so challenged. At first, I was in shock. Then I became extremely angry. For a period, I felt as though I was in the middle of a crisis of faith, as I struggled with that all-too-familiar question, why God? How could a loving God allow this? In years prior, I probably had an answer to that question for many other people until it was my turn to be tested. Fortunately, the anger and questioning of God's goodness was short-lived. Like the Father in our passage today, I cried out to God in my own way, asking him to help me with my unbelief. He soon answered that prayer, giving me peace by focusing my attention back on the cross and asking the right question, 
which is what kind of love would do this? That is to go to the cross for me. How many would do this for a friend, let alone a once stranger and enemy of God? Who would come down from all the glories of heaven who is sinless and put on flesh and take the penalty for all my sins by dying a cruel death on a cross? There is only one. In closing, let me tell you of the third father. He is the Lord God Almighty, Yahweh, the maker of heaven and earth, the first and the last. He created you and knows you intimately. You are not some random accident existing in a meaningless cosmos. He loves you. He sent his one and only son, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, who was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, willingly sacrificed his life on a cross, paying the penalty for our sins, and was resurrected. Praise God. My friends, God so loved the world that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Call on his name and he will answer you. Let's pray. Lord, it has been said that there is no instruction manual for life. Oh, but there is, Lord. It is your holy, holy, holy word. It can be trusted. It is faithful because you are faithful. Lord, help our unbelief. Help those who have never believed in you to surrender once and for all and believe upon you. For those of us who have confessed our faith in you, Lord, and do, Lord, in our times of weakness where we struggle to believe, where we question the things that we must endure, Lord, may we cry out to you, Lord, as this Father in our passage today, and say, help us in our unbelief. In Jesus' name, amen.